0: This is a sermon preached in the pulpit of Eden Grove Presbyterian Church, Bowen Hinch, Northern Ireland. A place where we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Folks, let's get into the Word of God again today. We continue our series in the book of 2 Corinthians and we are at chapter 8. I don't know about you but I can't believe that. Uh, I planned to preach this about a year ago. I wanted to preach 2 Corinthians, I wanted to preach Titus, I wanted to do an evening uh, service series in the Old Testament somewhere. Most of those plans went out the window but here we are, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, nearly at the end of the book, nearly at the end of the year, I can't believe it. But by the grace of God, uh, you've been blessed by the reading of his word and the preaching of his word. uh, and Hopefully today will be no exception. So 2 Corinthians 8 is where we are. Get your Bible, open your Bible, read along, keep it open, even as you watch on Facebook. I can't see, I can't watch what you're up to, but engage with this, uh, I urge you, as we get into the word of God. 2 Corinthians 8, the whole chapter, and this is God's word. And in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. But that as a matter of furnace, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, and that there may be furnace. As it is written, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you for he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that has been ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honourable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, He is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Amen. And we thank God today for his word. I want to begin today with a proclamation I want to start today by looking you in the eye and as you sit on your sofa or watch this on your gadget or your device, I want to tell you something that I absolutely believe. I will say it in a wee moment. I will proclaim it in a second or two, but first I want to give a little warning. Because whenever I tell you what it is I believe, perhaps some of you might fall off the sofa. Some of you might uh, take your breakfast and spill it over the cat. Some of you might be so shocked that you immediately want the phone head office Trevor Gribbon, the clerk of the General Assembly, and tell him that I have lost my mind. But I haven't. Here's the statement. Here's the belief. Here's the confession. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, that isn't a declaration that I am a Roman Catholic. That isn't a declaration that I accept the doctrines and theology of the Roman Catholic Church. I certainly do not. And I long for the day where reformation sweeps through the Roman Church and the gospel of grace proceeds from the mouth of the Pope himself. That day hasn't come. I do not believe today that we look to Rome, but I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. What does that mean? If it's not the controversial meaning, what does it mean? Such a confession simply means that I, like I suspect you, believe in the church of Jesus Christ and about that church we believe that she is Catholic or in plain terms, she is universal. We confess this whenever we say the Apostles' Creed together, we state clearly that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, and indeed we do. We believe in the universal church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the church of Jesus Christ that does not recognise boundaries or borders. It is the church of Jesus Christ that exists wherever the gospel is preached and the spirit works and brings sinners to salvation in Jesus. It is the church of Jesus Christ as she is found in Asia and Africa and Europe and in the Americas and in Oceania and everywhere where the gospel has been preached and the men and women of faith have been gathered. There is the church of Jesus Christ. There is the holy Catholic church. Now that I've explained it, Hopefully, it's lost any controversy that might have existed towards it as I've started this sermon. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. But so what, you might say. What on earth has such a declaration got to do with anything? Well, it's got to do with this passage. Because quickly as we get into 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we see that the Apostle Paul also believes in the Holy Catholic Church. The Apostle Paul is a minister not just to a church in one little section, one little corner, but instead the Apostle Paul is a minister to the Gentiles and to the church of Jesus Christ wherever she may be. Now what's going on here in this passage? Well Paul is about to speak to the Corinthians and he is about to urge them to gather up the collection that they had promised to give towards the work of the churches in Judea. You see there's an issue in these current days that Paul finds himself in. There's an issue as he is writing to the Corinthians and we find a little bit of context in the word of God. In the book of Acts in chapter 11, we read this about the situation and the context of these days. In verse 27 of Acts 11, we read this. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of the Emperor Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. There's the context, that's what's going on in Paul's world and that's why he writes to these Corinthians in this chapter to urge them to do the work that they would promised to do in supporting the church in Jerusalem. Again, so what? What's the big deal about such a passage? Why do we pay any attention to it? Well, my brothers and sisters, here's the so what. We live in days where As men and women of faith, we are becoming more and more independent from one another. Certainly it hasn't been helped by COVID. Certainly our fellowships have had restrictions placed upon them. Our our fellowship, our our day-to-day living together has been restricted. We cannot visit the way we would like to. We cannot speak to one another on a Sunday the way we would like to. Brothers and sisters have been forced to stay at home even though they'd love to come to church. We live in days that we have been divided by a pandemic. But even before those days, even when COVID was nothing that we could ever dream of, even before it ever started being spoken about as a danger to us, we were growing more and more independent. In the church of Jesus Christ today, independence is seen as a virtue. We have fellowships that will say, we are independent we make the decisions, we do what we want, no one can speak to us, we are an independent fellowship. And we hear of other fellowships, we hear of churches that say, oh, we are non-denominational. We aren't one of those nasty, unbiblical denominations. We're above all of that independence. Now today is not a sermon and a rant against such thinking. Certainly it is not my thinking, but I am not pointing today and saying these places are un-Christian and un-biblical and all the rest of it. I just so happen to disagree with how they govern their churches. You see, I am a Presbyterian. A part of being a Presbyterian is that we do not believe that we are independent. And in this locality, here we are in the town of Balnahinch, the and there are two Presbyterian churches. We are part of the same denomination. We are part of the same presbytery, a gathering of churches in our local area. We are called the Presbytery of Down. And what that means is that here in Eden Grove, we are not independent from our brothers and sisters around us. We cannot act independently from the rest of the church, doing what we want and saying what we want and thinking the church in Cumber can't say anything to us. The church down in our glass has got nothing to say to us. We do not believe that as Reformed Christians, as Presbyterians, we are not independent. And if you think, well, Scott, is that a biblical idea Is that a biblical notion? Because in these days, it seems to me that that it is good to be independent. It is is the right thing. And we want to put that title on our sign at the front door, non-denominational. Surely that's the way to go. I do not believe it. In 2 Corinthians chapter eight, Paul writes to these men and women in Corinth about something that's going on in Macedonia, in response to what is going on in Judea and he sends members of the church Catholic to minister into all these contexts. Corinth, Macedonia, Judea and at no point is independence extolled as this grand virtue. Paul says, I want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. The Macedonian Christians have heard about the dire situation that other believers, other brothers and sisters in Christ are facing in the region of Judea. And even in the time of extreme poverty, Even in a time of affliction, because of their abundance of joy in the gospel, they are overflowing with generosity to the church Catholic. The Macedonians are not prepared to sit and say, we're independent. We're far away from this suffering church down the road. It's got nothing to do with us. We can wash our hands off it and get on with the stuff in our own backyard. No room for it at all. Paul is labouring and ministering among the Macedonians and here he testifies in verse 3 that they are men and women who have given according to their means and indeed they've gone beyond their means. The Macedonians, who are not a rich and wealthy church, the Macedonians going through their own days of trouble because they are part of the church of Jesus Christ, because they are part of the church Catholic. They reach out the hand of support and friendship and fellowship to suffering Christians miles away from them. There's no independence here. There's only interdependence. There are no churches here. There is only the church of Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the Corinthians to let them know what is going on in Macedonia as they respond to the plight of the church in Judea. You see, whenever we live and act as if we are independent from all the other Christians in the world and even all the other Christians in our own local town, I really do believe that we are going against the plan that God has for his church. We're not little islands standing on our own. It's, it's me and God and nobody else. And the stream of independence that creeps into the church in this day and age, I believe is a stream that we need to dry up. Push back, damn it up and not return to it. See it is so easy and especially in lockdown to retreat into our homes, to lock the door. It's me and mine and that's all that matters. And we forget something of huge significance. Paul tells us what that is as the chapter continues. He says in verse 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty they might become rich. Paul reminds the Corinthians, as he reminds us today, all these years later, that Christ laid aside his riches that Christ laid aside the heavenly realm, that Christ willingly and obediently came to earth. He suffered and he died for us. He was humiliated for our sake. Jesus laid aside his riches and willingly embraced poverty so that we might become rich in Christ. Now here the health, wealth and prosperity preachers have got to be disappointed. This does not mean that Jesus came to earth to fill up our bank balances so that we might have the nicest car in the town sitting out in the driveway. That's not what Paul means when he says that by the poverty of Christ we might become rich. Absolutely not. But by the poverty of Christ and through receiving Christ by faith we have become spiritually rich. We have been redeemed from our sin. We are no longer counted as enemies of God. We are no longer men and women heading for a lost eternity in the place called hell. But our sins are not held against us. God himself has declared us righteous in his sight. Justification is the word. Day by day, the spirit grows us up in the faith as we attend to the ordinary means of grace. The word read, the word preached, the gift of prayer, the sacraments, the local fellowship. Here, the Lord God makes us abundantly rich through faith in his precious son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is this point that we put aside our notions of independence. See, here is the thing, my brothers and sisters, as we listen to this today and as we read this passage. We live in Northern Ireland. We live in this town here in Balnehanch. I'm preaching this in the front room of the months. Uh, This house belongs to the church at Eden Grove and I can look out these windows and today as I look out, it's getting a wee bit dull and and I see the traffic outside my window. It's tempting to, to believe that this is all there is. But because of Jesus, who came to die for his people, we are part of something of grand significance. We are part of the church of Jesus Christ, the blood-bought bride, as I often like to say. We are part of the church, Catholic. Paul says to the Corinthians, do you remember Jesus? Do you remember that he was rich, though for your sake became poor? Do you remember your Saviour and Lord? My friends, I suspect that most of us don't need too many reminders about christ i hope and pray that every day he is front and center in our thoughts we bear his name we call ourselves christians but i believe the only antidote to the independence that we all like to have is remembering the head of the church the sole king and head of the church it is not the pope in rome And it is certainly not Queen Elizabeth II sitting on her throne. The sole king and head of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. And because this is absolutely true, then no wonder the Macedonians, out of love and and joy and generosity, out of great wonder at the gospel and the grace that had been poured into their lives. No wonder the Macedonians, even in the midst of poverty and and affliction, no wonder that as verse 4 says, they begged Paul earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. Amazing. Amazing. They, They don't just send round a collection plate. But they say, Paul, please, let us, let us be part of this. Let us give to this. Let us support these Christians in Judea, these men and women that we will never know. Let us reach out to them with love and charity because they are our brothers and sisters. My brothers and sisters, today we have more in common with the church of Jesus Christ throughout this world than we do with men and women who do not know Jesus in the streets around us. Today, we may not be able to speak the same language as Christians in Korea, but we are part of the same family. Today, we may not be able to speak the same language as Christians in Argentina, but we are part of the same family. Today, we have freedom and liberty that is not enjoyed by Christians in Saudi Arabia, but we are part of the same family. We are the blood-bought bride. We are the church Catholic. And may the grace of the gospel the rich saviour who willingly took on poverty for our sake, may the grace of the gospel flow into our lives and flow out in generosity and abundance for the church of Jesus Christ wherever she may be. The Macedonians want the help. They're not going to batten down the hatchets. They're not going to claim that they're independent. That they have nothing to do with anybody and how they live and act and what they preach and teach has got nothing to do with anyone else. They're part of the interconnected, interdependent church of Jesus Christ. And indeed, Paul is astounded at them. They are generous beyond their means, he says. They are not a rich church, but they, they go above and beyond what they've got for the sake of the bride of Christ. And in verse 5, Paul says, this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. They are people of God. And then by the will of God to us, they they were committed to the Lord first and foremost. And that flows into service to the apostles and to the wider church. And so in response to that, Paul urges uh, Titus to go to Corinth and and to get on with the work of of gathering up their Corinthian collection, verse 6. But then Paul says, but as you excel in everything, verse seven, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace as well. Paul, knowing how interconnected the church is, wants to remind the Corinthians that they too promise to be part of the support of the struggling, suffering church. And he says this to them in verse 8, not as a command. He's not coming as the apostle, as as he could. Full of authority, the the church is built on the foundations of the prophets and the apostles. With Christ himself as the chief cornerstone, he could come, come commanding. But he doesn't come this time commanding. Instead, he says, I don't say this as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. See the Corinthians knew all about the problems in Judea and the Corinthians to their credit didn't raise the independence flag. They didn't say oh no we're non-denominational we've got nothing to do with any of the rest of you. Instead the Corinthians Paul says a year ago verse 10 also wanted and desired to be part of this work. The Corinthians a year ago said, look, let's put our own hands in our own pockets and let's support the church Catholic in these days of struggle. And so now, verse 11, Paul urges them to finish doing this work, the work that they have started. He, he wants them to finish doing it and to do it well so that your readiness, he says, and design it may be matched by your complaining it out of what you have. Paul doesn't want to make the Corinthians or the Macedonians poor by by no means. This isn't about uh, putting poverty on the Corinthians because poverty is being experienced by the Christians in Judea, not a bit of it. He says, if the readiness is there, verse 12, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. The apostle does not want to make the Corinthians poor and therefore the Judeans rich. Not a bit of it, but the Corinthians are in a better position than those in Judea. The Corinthians are not going through the same difficult days as those in Judea. And so as a matter of fairness, Paul reminds them that out of their abundance in that present time, they should seek to supply the need of the church Catholic in a place that is going through time of trouble and strife and famine. In our own fellowship, we try to to take part in this work. We have a mission account, and we we give to it very generously, I hope, every single year. And the mission account, every penny of it, every pound of it, is spent in the work of the gospel further afield than Balmahinch. some of the causes are here in this island of ours that we call Ireland. We are part of a denomination that existed before the partition of this country. We are the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. And so we have an interest in churches from Colerain down to Cork and everywhere in between. And so as part of our mission fund, we we seek to help churches that are struggling, that financially can't do very much. We, We want to help them and put hands in our pockets so we help the weaker fellowships financially on this land. And it goes beyond that. We support churches in Scandinavia. We support churches in Africa, in Europe, in North America. We do our very best to spend the money wisely, to send it to the right places, all with a view to seeing the work of the gospel advance. All with the view of trying to support and supply the need of the church Catholic. My friends, I do not say that today. I do not preach that today to boast, perish the thought, I do not say that today to say, oh, look at us with our our mission fund, Perish the Thought. I say it today because I would have every church with an outward focus, with a mission fund focus for the sake of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would have every church here in the West with that focus to support the church of Jesus Christ in places where she is weak and persecuted and struggling. Paul reminds the Corinthians in verse 15 back to the Exodus. He says whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. He takes them back to the days of manna and quail. He takes them back to where the people are supplied by God and their need is met. And So this is our vision for the church. The Lord God who sends his son willingly from riches to poverty for our sake is the one who will supply our every need. Whether it is here in the rich west or whether it is the church with about three members in a Muslim dominated country somewhere miles away that we will never ever be. Here is what it is to be interconnected. I wrote a few devotions on this passage a week or so ago and perhaps you read them and said perhaps you remember them. But I used the example in those devotions of when I was away on a mission team and someone prayed for us in a foreign language that I couldn't understand and then it was translated and it was translated along these lines. That this brother of ours, this Christian brother of ours is thanking God that we in the West are rich. This Christian brother of ours is thanking God and asking him that he would keep us rich. And this Christian brother of ours is saying, Lord, keep them rich so that they may continue to support the work of the church here where we are poor. And my friends, I know none of us think we are rich. None of us certainly in these days think we are rich. Days of furlough, days of redundancy, days of political uncertainty, all of that is certainly true in the West but but we must be honest, we must say that we are part of and citizens of one of the richest nations in the world and if that is the case as I believe it is and if the Lord has blessed us abundantly financially as individuals and as churches then may we respond to the grace of God in our lives by being generous with gifts to the church Catholic in lands where there is persecution and no abundance, but there is lack. Paul urges us here to know that we are not independent, to know that we do not stand alone and to know that we are part of the family of God, citizens of heaven, interconnected, but never, ever, ever independent. And the Corinthians, are to finish the work that they promised that they would start and that they were willing to be part of. The Macedonians, the Corinthians and the Judeans all play a part in this chapter showing the church Catholic in glorious interconnected technicolor. Not only have these fellowships far apart got something to do with one another and how they live and work and support one another, But the chapter ends by seeing how that work takes place. See, there's an individual called Titus. We know him from the book called Titus. I preached on that at the start of the year. And here in verse 16, Paul reminds us again of Titus. He says, thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. Titus hears about the Corinthians, and he wants to go to the Corinthians out of his own heart. He's he's not forced by Paul. His arm isn't twisted up his back. But as a young Christian man who loves the church of Jesus Christ, he wants to go again to Corinth. He wants to be part of this ministry. He wants to be part of this interconnected work. And so he goes, he goes to gather up this collection, but because we are the church of Jesus Christ and we want to do everything honourable in the sight of God and in the world, Paul also sends with him someone else. Paul says in verse 18, with him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And so immediately you think, well, well, is Paul sending him because he is famous? Not a bit of it. Not a bit of it. There are no tears in Christianity. There, there are no famous Christians and then the lesser Christians. None of that at all. This individual is famous but he is nameless in this passage. We do not know who he is. And look at where his fame comes from. His fame comes from the fact that he is a preacher of the gospel. His fame comes from the fact that he is a man who believes that Christ died for sinners and was raised for our justification and all who believe in him will not perish but they will be saved. It is this that has made this individual famous and so Paul sends Titus and Paul sends the nameless preacher of the gospel. This man has been appointed by the churches says Paul in verse 19 to travel with them to carry out this act of grace that has been ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. Paul sends two, not independent believers, but men who have been appointed by the church of Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, in these days, be aware of anyone who rolls into your town and says, I'm here, I'm a self-appointed preacher, a self-appointed pastor. I'm here to build my own little kingdom. Be wise. We live in days where many set up their own independent fellowships in their own little garages. But where do they get their authority? Where is the oversight? Where is the interconnectedness that we should look for always in the church? Be wise. Because there are many wooves out among the people of God, many who seek to build empires for themselves, be wise. None of this could be said about Titus and the nameless preacher. As Paul reminds these Corinthians in verse 20, he says, We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honourable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. Character was important. Everything done decently and in order was important. Everything being done that is seen to be above reproach is important. This is how the church does business. And I've said before that we have a dual citizenship, the old duplex regimen. We are both citizens of this world and at the same time citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is there and from heaven we await a saviour. But as the church exists in this world, may we strive to do everything in the sight of this world decently and in order and above reproach, all for the sake of the glory of the Lord. And so Paul sends Titus to pick up this generous gift from the Corinthians for the church Catholic. But Paul also sends the nameless preacher with Titus to pick up this gift for the church Catholic. And Paul also in verse 22 sends another nameless brother A man who had been tested and found earnest in many matters. He had also sent this third brother to pick up this gift for the church, Catholic. Titus is a partner and fellow worker, says Paul, for your benefit. And it is the same for our brothers. They are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. And so the Corinthians, verse 24, are are to receive these men and to give proof before the fellowships of their love and Paul's boasting about them. Friends, at first glance, 2 Corinthians 8 seems a little bit irrelevant to us in 2020. It seems a bit technical. It it seems a little bit sort of administrative. Paul urges these churches to, to gather up a collection for a fellowship in Judea, Paul sends not one, not two, but three individuals to to pick up that collection and and to give proof to the other churches that all is decent and above order. It all seems a little bit, dare I say it, boring. Paul, get us to the good stuff. Get us to the rich theological teaching. Get us to stuff that we can sink our teeth into and write on our fridges, put on our Instagram, tattoo on our arms. Get us to the good stuff. But my brothers and sisters, as I read 2 Corinthians 8, I see the church Catholic. I see her in all her beauty. And I know the church doesn't always look beautiful. I know at times we are divided against one another and we despise one another and we fight and argue and we split and we set up new independent fellowships in the very same time that all the trouble has been caused I know that that is what Northern Ireland is like today church planting abounds and where does it abound usually down the street from another two or three Christian churches this is not obscure This is not an irrelevant passage for the church of Jesus Christ. Here we see the generosity and care that we should have for the church. Here we see that we should care for one another and love one another and meet one another's needs. Why? Because the same blood of Christ that paid for my sins paid for the sins of of the individual in Afghanistan who loves the Lord, but I will never meet until glory comes. The same blood of Christ that paid for my sins is the blood that paid for the sins of that individual who is seeking to minister to a handful of believers and an intensely a furious and hostile scenario where Islam is knocking at the door and everything looks bleak. That individual is is my brother, is my sister in the Lord. Christ's blood paid for our sins. And that is why I confess and profess that I believe in the church Catholic. May we not grow hard-hearted. May we not grow indifferent to the church. May we not look at our own four walls and think this is where it's at. This is all that exists. This is all that there is to look for in the world. We are the church and and no one else. The Lord has promised in his covenant of grace that those who are part of the church will be more numerous than the sand and the beach or the stars in the sky. This promise was made to Father Abraham and we are spiritual descendants of Abraham men and women who have believed the promise. If all of this is true, then we know again today that we are not independent, but interdependent, interconnected, part of the same glorious body, the Church Catholic. May we be generous to one another, May we be quick to forgive one another. May we be even quicker to help one another. For Christ is the sole king and head of the church. My friends, today it is nothing short of an extraordinary privilege to be a Christian. To be part of Christ's kingdom Here on this earth. Which has spread throughout this earth. It's nothing short. Of an extraordinary and wonderful privilege. And so let me finish today. To invite you to become part of the church Catholic. It doesn't matter how much you pay in financially. It doesn't matter your first name or last name. Or where you're from. Or your past. None of those things count. To become part of the extraordinary body, the Church of Jesus Christ, then you must receive him by faith. My friends, there's nothing greater than to be a Christian.